Yes, I like Christmas, but I especially like the part after Christmas, the where everything's done, the running around's done, and you can just relax and you go, ah, oh, spend time with friends and family, all those kind of things, and just uh, not have other plans. <laughs> because I didn't do that at Christmas. No, we did do that at Christmas. Um, but today, so we're talking about the lead up to Christmas. So I'm going to be talking about the prophecies and the things that lead up to Jesus' birth. Um, and I'd like to talk about, you know, plans that we make. Um, and sometimes the plans we make don't always work out. Um, and a few years ago, Rachel was going to spend a year in, in Germany um, for her exchange. I thought this is a great thing. I would have loved to do that when I was going to uni, but I never got the, the chance. And we thought this is a, a great one year for her to learn and grow and learn another language. Um, and then COVID hit and she spent a month in a student dorm kind of thing and not being able to do anything and then flying back home. And sometimes these bad things happen. And uh, a month ago, we celebrated my dad's one-year death anniversary. And um, a couple of years before that, we were going to have a trip with him and we we're going to go on a train ride. He loved steam trains. We we're going to do a steam train ride in Germany and visit Rachel. And we had all these plans that we were going to do. And sometimes awful things happen in our lives. Bad things come. Um, I know I normally start with a funny story, and I'm sorry about that. But, but sometimes this is life, isn't it? Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes there's bad things. Sometimes it's terrible. You want to cry and go, what's going on? And, but God is still God in all those situations. And from the very beginning, God had a plan to do something about our sin and he spoke about Jesus coming and doing something about it. And after that, God made promises about us and our lives. And if we can trust him about what he did with Jesus that made them come true, we can trust him for the promises he said about our lives and what's going to happen so that we can then persevere no matter what's happening in our lives. So there's a plan, there's a promise, there's promises and we persevere. So it's, I, I didn't want to do two Ps because then I have to make it PP, and that wouldn't sound very nice as a part of a church sermon. So it's, it's a triple P. Uh, so this is the, the, the prequel, the prequel to Christmas. So we're going to look at some verses about before, um, before Jesus was born, talking about his birth. And you know, Luke says, you know, I write these things so you may, may be certain about what you believe. And so you might have already heard these things before. I want you to be encouraged about how certain you can be of your faith in what God has done through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't heard this before, this is a chance for you to learn about how God promises and how he fulfills. So we're going to look at, uh, first of all, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 to 23. And it says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, uh, Joseph, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What an awesome promise. How good is that? And that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And that was spoken about 700 years before Jesus was born. 
So it says he'll be the saviour of his people. And at that time, you know, they were expecting the, the, the Messiah to be the saviour from Roman domination. But um, here Matthew makes it clear it's because he will save them from their sins. So just to be clear about that, that's why Jesus came. And then comes a famous promise. Prom promise I've been doing really well before this time. Uh, a prophecy of the imminent birth. Try and get the letters in the right place in the sentences. That would be really nice. Um, of a child to a young woman, woman of marriageable age. And so in that verse where it talks about um, the virgin, in the original Hebrew, it, that's what it means, is a woman of marriageable age. And when they wrote the, changed the Hebrew into the Greek, the Septuagint, they use a word that's more aligned with virgin. So they understood, they interpreted that, that what that means is the virgin's going to give birth. It's going to be some kind of miracle that's going to happen. Okay, and after Jesus was born, the Jews sort of, sort of took that away a little bit because at that time, remember, lots of prophecy when it's written has multiple meanings, multiple possible um, futures that can be. And it could have been um, at that time Ahaz was the king of Israel. Um, and Hezekiah was his son. So they got, is it talking about Hezekiah as the one who has helped deliver them? Or is it um, Isaiah's son? Isaiah's son, now I have to read that one because it is the longest name in the Bible. And it is Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So if you remember, that's in any Bible trivia ones, you'll get one point at least. Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And that was the name of Isaiah's son. And that was the, the fulfillment of the prophecy at that time. But as, with, as I said with prophecies, they have multiple ways of being fulfilled. Like when you read Revelations, you see there's things about the Roman Empire at that time, but there's all things about Jesus' second coming. So God has all these wonderful things woven in his word about now, the near future, and way off in the way off where we can't see it. And he puts it all into his word to help us to trust him. So there was that fulfillment there. So post-Christian Jews said, well, we believe it was Hezekiah was the fulfillment. That's how they changed it a little bit because they didn't want to admit that Jesus was the Messiah. So we can always interpret things a little bit differently to suit our needs. And it's linked with Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I know it continues on, but I want to stop there. Um, one of the versions I looked at and said for everlasting father, said father of the future. And I thought, I really like that. Not just the alliteration, but he's the, the God of things to come. Not, the everlasting, not just not he's going to live forever, but he is the, always the God. He is the God of the future, God of our future. He's got our future in his, in our, in his hands. Take it out of our hands. That's what we want to do. Um, so when you link Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 together, you know, there's a definite picture of a divine Messiah, King. 
who's coming that cannot be fulfilled by any human king. And that's what we see coming in that. So the flip side of the offer of salvation is, and if you read the context, you will see there's also the offer of judgment if you don't believe. How about that? (laughs) So if you have chosen Jesus and believe in him, you have salvation. If you're going to reject Jesus, then there is judgment waiting for you. And I say that in love because I don't want you to be judged. I want you to receive salvation through Jesus Christ and live out the life that God has called you to have. So the next verse, I'm just looking at three. There's lots of verses that talk about Jesus' birth, but I'm just looking at three in Matthew, okay, because I like them, um, and it keeps the sermon short. Um, So Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, it says this, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. This is King Herod. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And you notice this, Matthew, when he talks about the other ones, he said, so is fulfilled what the prophet said. And this one, he doesn't say that because of the Jewish guys who brought it up. But he's still saying, yes, what they say is true, but I don't want to sort of saying they, they are right. So it's a way of getting around saying they are right, but they are right kind of thing. He's trying to do that. Trying to say well, what, you, what you have believed and what the Bible says is the truth. Um, so that, that, this quotation is from Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Again, written about 700 years. It's the same time as the other one. And if we look at that verse, um, it says, whose origins are... Um, is that, oh yeah, but you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned under the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers have returned to join the Israelites. I can just read that at the back, thankfully. So, there is another picture of the sun coming. And it's nice to read the context to understand where that's coming from. Because often you read the, the, when they quote Old Testament in the New Testament, you go, could I do that in a sermon? Like, would anyone believe or go, that's taken out of context, mate? And sometimes they do that, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it all just makes sense. So, so Bethlehem was the birthplace of David, the ancestor of the Messianic king. So this proved, you know, Joseph was, addressed, Joseph was addressed as a son of David. Jesus is the son of David. The Messiah was the son of David. So you put it all together, and we have what God has promised is going to be fulfilled. So, the next one is Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And it says this, So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And so that's from Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, which says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. And you can read that in the Gospels, is Jesus is continually calling to his people, calling to the Israelites, saying, the kingdom of heaven is near, 
repent and believe, and still they choose to walk away, seeing the miracle, seeing who Jesus was, seeing his integrity, the proved what he said he was, was who he was, and they still walked away. But we have confidence now to put our trust in what God has said. So there's these only three examples that talk about the birth of Jesus, where he's going to be born, how he's going to go to Egypt and come back, where he's going to grow up. But there are so many more that show that God had this plan from the very beginning so that we might have confidence in what he says when he says things to us. So what God said would happen has happened. He has proved himself trustworthy. And that's important. God had a plan and has shown himself faithful. Okay, so that's the plan. The plan. God had a plan and he made it happen. Because this is the prequel, we've already seen the sequel, right? Like Star Wars, we already know who Anakin Skywalker is going to be. Okay, so in here we know Jesus is going to be born, but we know that he is going to die, but he's going to be raised to life and he's going to send us his Holy Spirit and he's going to come back again. We already know those things are going to happen. We know the sequel. So God has made lots of promises about us. So that's the plan. Now I'm talking about the promise for us. So we're going to look at a few verses about God's promises to us. I know there are so many again. We've got to choose a few. So in John verses 1, John, verse, John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are children of God. Nothing you can do can take, undo that. If you've accepted Jesus, you are a child of God. And just the way if you have children, the way you look after them and love them unconditionally is the same way that God loves us. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. How good is that one? You know it's repeated because it's so good, right? And if you don't memorize it, it's time to start memorizing your scripture so that when you're going through the hard times, when, it's, when someone's passed away and there's some terrible day happens to you, you can say these things to remind your brain of what God's truth is in your life. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 to 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. Even when you feel not loved, you can say this, no, I am loved. If even if you think everyone hates you, God still loves you. You have that in writing as a promise to you. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. I do not let, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. We have his peace. He has given it to us. It is in our hearts for us for those moments when trouble, when the waves seem too high, we have peace. When Jesus is sleeping, we can sleep with him. Okay, because we have peace. You getting some of this? I'm getting it. I'm, getting, I'm feeling good now. I was feeling really bad, really nervous before, but I'm getting it now. Just because of reading, his, reading the promises about me and you that are true in my life are so powerful to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 
10, verses 13. Just want to read the second part. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. He will help you through every temptation and provide a way out. He won't let you go through anything you cannot handle. Whatever you're going through, you will make it through to the other side. Luke chapter 4, verses, verse 32. Oh, okay, I want to pause before that. I'm getting carried away of reading scriptures. Um, the road to Emmaus. How, what a great story is that, where these disciples are walking along with someone who they do not recognize, and he's explaining scripture to them. He's talking about all these things that showed why Jesus had to come, why the Messiah had to come and die and be raised to life, why he didn't just become a king and just reign and everything was going to be all right, why he had to suffer. And they're listening to him. They're getting some of it. And then at the end, now we can put up the verse, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So if you are not reading the scriptures to get them into your heart, how is he going to open them to you so that you can have confidence in what he says and believe his promises to you about your life, no matter what you're going through? Even if your darkest moment, there's a promise for you in that moment so that you can get up and you keep on going. That's God's promise to us. That God's promises for us, for all of us, for all time, these the ones I've read, I, the, you can find lots of lists and there's some conditions here, if you do this and this, but the ones I've read to you are true for all seasons, no matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, for all time. Every day you can use those scriptures because they are true. They are unconditional truths. Okay? Okay. Next, perseverance. So, so we talked about God's plan. He announced that he was going to send Jesus to be born to be a, a man, 100%, 100% man, 100% God, to die on the cross and be raised again, and he made that happen. He's shown that, and he's made all these promises about us that we can believe and take to heart and use every day, and what he wants us to do is persevere. Okay, so plan, promise, persevere. The question we'll ask is, where do I look? Okay, when you say, what does persevere mean? Where do I look? Because the, the Christian version of perseverance, I would say, sum it up as this. Hold on, work hard, look up. You've got to keep on going. You've got to keep on going, but you have to look in the right direction. And as you know, I went on the canoeing trip with Annika, and it's easy to look at your paddle going in the water and go, this is hard work, this is hard work, this is hard work. But if you keep doing that... If your goal's over there, you could be going over there and you do not know. All you know is this is hard work. And you're feeling it every stroke. Your, your muscles are sore and you're just going, this is, uh, when are we going to get there? And you're never going to get there because you're looking in the wrong direction. Okay? You're looking at the problem. And God wants us to keep looking up so we go in the right direction. You might be going like this, but because you keep, you keep looking up, you're going in the right direction. Because God is not interest, interested in our perfection. He's interested in our direction. Okay, where we're looking is most important because if you get that right, the perfection will just start happening on its own because you're looking to Him and getting to know Him, getting His scriptures into your heart. Huh. Breathe one moment. Okay. So perseverance is a continued effort to do something even when it's difficult. 
okay? And that's a sucky definition, but that's what it is, okay? That's what it is, and that's what the Bible wants us to keep on doing. The devil keeps rolling little balls, you know, walking along, and you can imagine him just throwing these little balls, and you can either choose to keep looking at them, oh, I'm going oh, to dodge, and you're not looking where you're going, okay? But if you keep looking, and you're going to end up somewhere else, same as the canoeing thing, different analogy, if you didn't get the canoeing one, you're gonna, you can get this one, okay? But if you keep looking up, okay, sometimes you might step on those little pebbles, they might hurt a little bit, but you're still going in the right direction, okay? They might, they're going to hurt. And these things have bad things. Jesus never said, you're never going to have any problems. He never said that. He said, but take heart, because I've overcome the world, and we have his peace, even in those problems. Okay, so stop looking down at the small things, look up and see the big picture. That's what the Bible gives us. When you read the Bible, you see the big picture about what God wants us to do, to stop focusing on our little problems, okay, and see that we have a role to play on this world in sharing the good news about Jesus Christ and making disciples. Because it's easy to go, what I, uh, to just focus on the little things, and you forget about the big picture. It's like when you look, you're staring at two puzzle pieces, and you're trying to put them together, and you forget to look at the box to go, well, how does it, what is the big picture? And you just kind of work out these two little pieces, and we sometimes get caught up about little parts of doctrine and other stuff, and we forget about the fact that we're meant to be sharing Jesus with other people. So keep on going. Okay, so um, when we went canoeing, um, just so you know that I did a lot of canoeing, uh, once in my, at least once in my life, okay? I mentioned as many times as possible. Um, they had to do the capsize practice. And what they did is they sent out two boats out a little bit further, and they, they, the canoes had nothing in them, and they had to actually capsize. They had to purposely tip the boat. So they're rocking over, and you've got to tip over into the cold lake water, and then what they had to do is they get the other people, you needed another boat, and they help pull the upside-down boat across the middle of one canoe, and then they can flip it back over and slide it back into the water, and then the other people can get back into it. And sometimes God allows things to happen. I don't want you to purposely capsize or do something stupid, okay, to bring bad things into your life, okay, and that's not the point. But the point is, that God wants us to keep on getting back up and he gives us tools that even if we stumble, that we can get back up again and keep on going. And so when we practice, if we have those things, the reason why we have a church is so that when we see other people going through problems, we go, I've been through that or the other way around. I know someone else has been through the same problem. I'm going to talk with them about how they got through it and tell me about the finish line because I want to know that that finish line is there. I know what God says, and I want to hear the experience of other people, so I know I can go through it. So we want to prioritize action over thinking. And if you're anything like me, you like to dwell on stuff over and over again, and you don't take a single, single, a single step towards making anything happen. Okay, if you're like that, then I want you to prioritize action over thinking. Okay? taking one small step makes a big difference than just dwelling on something over and over again. Okay. So, like when you're planning for a holiday, nothing's going to happen until you start putting money aside, is it? Okay, if you can say, I'd like to go on holidays, and you keep buying your $10 lattes and enjoying all those kind of things, and your savings account is not growing, and you wonder why, okay, or whatever else you like to buy that makes you feel good, um, until you start putting that money aside and start growing it, you don't have enough money for a holiday. 
until you start taking a step towards sharing Jesus and doing something for him, no one's going to hear about him. So we have confidence, we can trust God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, I'm going to read 19 and 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. How good is that? We have confidence to enter him because of the fact that he sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for us, to be a man. Um, yes, Carissa, that's a nod for you. Carissa, I think I'm just nodding here for the point, but I'm saying, no, I, you can come up and start playing the keyboard. Um, we can have confidence because he is faithful. Yeah? All of these things happen. So confidence is the opposite of fear, and we need to, you know, it's knowing that there's safety, even though there's trouble, that I can be delivered from this trouble. Okay? And then you have confidence. If you, and if you've gone through some trouble before and you've come out the other side, then you go, well, I can go through something else now. I can go through something bigger. I can go, if you're a, a bigger storm can come. Don't worry, I can make it through because I know Jesus is still with me and I know his promises and what he can help me do. That I can have peace in that moment. Because we want to think bigger than just us. Even the local church, because a local church thinker says, what you are in the church is most important. But the kingdom thinker says this, what you are in the world for Christ is most important. Our goal is not to work our way up in a church ladder or anything like that. But our goal is to do what God wants us to do in the world, to be Jesus in the world. So when Rachel missed out on a year in Germany, that was... For me, I was, I was very sad that she missed out on an experience. But that now has made her more determined to, and to work out the next few years of her life and what she wants to do, whether it is travel and do something else. That has inspired her. And the fact that I missed out on doing that last steam train trip with my dad that makes me sad encourages me, inspires me to do something with my children and have lots of great experiences with them before anything bad happens to me. Because I want to enjoy the life, and that doesn't mean ignoring what God wants us to do. I'm saying that is part of it. Doing what God wants us to do, spending time with our family and friends and sharing Jesus in this life and putting those things as priorities. So no matter how you feel right now, God has done something that will help you right now. God had a plan to save people from sin. He sent Jesus born in Bethlehem, crucified out, outside of Jerusalem and raised to life. So we can have, why don't we stand up? God has so many promises that he's spoken for us that he's told us in the Bible. So he had a plan to send Jesus. He's made lots of promises to us. And he wants us to persevere in everything we go through to just... Hold on, keep on going, look up. That's what he wants. And this, I could summarize this as well as God is still in control. Okay, he was in control before and he's still in control right now. The little things distract us, but we focus on Jesus. The big things can get us down. We can lean on him and inspire others and keep on making disciples. 
So I want to encourage you this morning that God is still in control, that He has a pro- lots of promises for you, a plan for your life, and He wants you to keep on going. So I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you, no matter where you're at in that, you know, in life. Father, we just thank you that you are always with us, that you have, you sent Jesus to be born as a baby, but with a purpose to die for us and be raised again, to send your Holy Spirit to give us peace, to show how much you love us. And that we can remember that each and every day, no matter what we're going through, whether times are great, we're on top of the mountain or in the deepest, darkest valley, you are still the same. You've still done the same things and we still have your peace. We know your love in those moments. And so we just thank you that you have done those things, that you are who you are and that you're going to be with us every day for the rest of our life. Amen.